and welcome to episode 429 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, or really the podcast devoted to Monster Bash 2019. My name is Derek M. Cook, your writer, host, producer here on the show, and we are actually in week five of reflecting on the Monster Bash conference that happened in June. It's been over a month since that happened, and yet, here we are. I still have so much more to share with you guys and gals, and I appreciate you letting me indulge myself by reviewing all of this audio and putting it out on the podcast, and you know, a lot of you guys and gals helped get me to Monster Bash, so I want to give it back to you. I want to give back to you by giving you recordings of the interviews that I did, the quick chats, and even a Q&A or two along the way. Now, this time around, and no, we're still not done. There's more coming. But this week, what do we have here on the show? We've got some conversations with publisher Richard Clemenson, monster makeup effects master Mitch Gonzalez, director Sam Irvin, and then a couple of actresses you might know. You know, their names are Veronica Carlson and Martine Beswick. You, know, you might know of them. Anyway, they're going to be here on the show as well. Plus, courtesy of Mike Ramsey, you know, the writer for Scary Monsters Magazine and, you know, dear friend of Monster Kid Radio, he recorded the Q&A with Martine Beswick, so you're going to hear that in this episode as well. And like I did last week, I did something a little different with the Q&A. Instead of just letting it play, I went through and anytime somebody from the audience asked a question, if I didn't recognize the voice and, you know, they weren't a Monster Kid Radio regular, I didn't want to include their voice here on the show. So most of the time I'm able to make everything kind of make sense, you know, not hearing the question isn't really a negative. In fact, a lot of times I just played a movie trailer that was relevant to the question being asked so that when Martine carried, you know what, I'm over explaining it and probably overthinking it. You're going to hear that towards the end of the show uh, after you hear all the conversations that I did at the Monster Kid Radio table at the Monster Kid Radio table and most of these recordings, if not all of them, actually took place on Sunday. So if I start sounding a little punch drunk, well that's probably why. Huh. You know, it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without some of our regular segments. So of course we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We have Dr. Tongue's World of Monster Collectibles and Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories. There is a lot to get to in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. So to quote one of my favorite YouTubers, Let's just jump into it. Panic sweeps London from end to end. Even Scotland Yard is baffled. But two men of intrepid daring fight back. It's Abbott and Costello at their hilarious best, battling fiction's most fearsome themes in Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Co-starring Boris Karloff as Robert Louis Stevenson's fabulous double demon. Mr. Hyde will kill him. Mr. Hyde will kill him. With Helen Wesson, Craig Stevens, and Reginald Denny. Bud and Lou are tearing up the town, trapping the beast among a bevy of beauties, adding turmoil to terror in a house of horrors that would frighten even Frankenstein. Come on, where? We can't kill Give me a hand. And what a 
riot when they get funny notions from deadly potions. Hey, Slim. What? Those guys must be seeing things. Pay no attention to them. They're drunk. You know, there's always a way of... Vicky! <coughs> <coughs> Werewolves. Zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. children. Behind their fiery, hypnotic eyes lurk the demon forces of another world. Ah! It's them or us, for these are the children of the damned. Children of the Damned, even more eerie and startling than the sensational village of the Damned. I think they are the cells of man, advanced maybe a million years. Could they actually be creatures from other planets, centuries beyond us scientifically, invading the Earth disguised as children? There's Paul from England, Nina from Russia, Rashid from India, Mi Ling from China, Ago from Nigeria, and Mark from America. Who are they really? As we of the Earth push further and further into space, are they the answer to our probing? They're not kids! Have you ever seen them laugh, run, play? No, by God, but you've seen them kill. The ambassadors of all the Earth's nations experience their defiance. Paul. We must know how to make that machine. We'd never think of trying to force you, of course. Theirs is the power of evil, turning friend against friend, hating, killing, yet armed with no weapon you can see or touch. Unless we can learn to live with them, we may cease to live at all. Can any force on Earth stop their fury? At, at this very moment, they could be making all those men out there turn their guns on one another.
name is Clem on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> it's Richard Clemenson, uh, publisher of one of the best classic horror magazines around. Absolutely love what you do. Tell the listeners what magazine you do. Because if they don't know, they it need to know. It is called Little Shop of Horrors. I've been publishing since 1972. I was fresh out of the Vietnam era army. Like I said last night, I didn't get my ass shot off. Uh, I had always loved horror films, but in the summer of 69, I had mono when I recovered. I went to a drive-in triple feature of Valley of Guanji, Godzilla vs. Thing, and Hammers, Dracula, There's Risen from the Grave. Wow. I loved so much, I went back the next night. God bless my mother. She hauled my famous monsters and castles of Frankenstein to Waterloo, Iowa from Mesa City when we moved. And I went and I found magazines like Photon and Gore Creatures. Mm -hmm. I thought, boy, I'd really like to do one of these. And then I got drafted. So when I came out, I went back to college. I said, I want to do a magazine. I picked the title Little Shop Horse because it just sounded neat. And it started out to be kind of just a general interest magazine with a little emphasis on British horror. Mm-hmm. But after the third issue, I said, what I really like is Hammer Films and old British horror films. Of course, they weren't old then. And we've kept on since then. I love the magazine. I first became aware of it uh, when I saw it mentioned in the liner notes of a CD, uh, music CD. It was like the yes. music of Hammer, whatever, the vampires of Hammer music. Or something like that. It was Vampire Circus was in there and some other things. And there was an address listed for Little Shop of Horrors. And it's like, I really need to write these guys. I really need to learn about this stuff. I was in Bozeman, Montana at the time. We didn't have anything like that out there. <laughs> you know, when I finally figured out there was a magazine and I, I started picking it up, I've gone back. I've got the reprints of the back issues. And they became a very valuable resource when we were doing a Hammer Films podcast a while back. I mean, it's, it's really... A good, well-produced magazine. Well-edited. Well, thank you. There are many places to get reviews of films, your own podcasts, or any written things on the internet. Mm -hmm. But we always decided we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. We're going to talk to the people, the performers, the directors, behind-the-scenes people. The films might not always be great, but it's always fascinating to find out how are they realized? Mm -hmm. And why did Hammer do such a thing? We've done, obviously, a lot of different Hammer films, but we did one... Covering Amicus, the complete issue. I remember that one. It was, uh, Phil Nutman wrote that, didn't he? Yep, Phil Nutman, and um, it was one of our our actual first front cover by Mark Maddox. And oh, Bruce, that's right. And Bruce Tim did the back cover on it, because we, we've attracted such fantastic artists. I mean, people come forward and say, we'd love to work for you, and I go, okay, yeah, I'm not arguing there at all. Uh, the quality of our contributors just knocks my socks off. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to mention Sam Irvin's Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein, the true story. That was that was Sam and my sister who has designed a magazine since 1979. Yeah. And I just kind of stood back and let him go at it. And Sam, well, I want this photo here. And can we strip this three strip? My sister playing around. The only thing you don't do with her once you've agreed to something, she designs it. You don't come back and say, "Well, we really need to redo this because you will get hurt." <laughs> but other than that, she, she, she sits in a recliner. She's got her laptop, got British mysteries on, designing Little Shop of Horrors. But she saw I say, my God, you gave me 10 pounds of crap to jam in the five pounds face again. But then <laughs> she does her magic. It's amazing. I, the magazine is just stellar, uh, and it's just getting better and better. Like I said, I've seen all the old issues with the, the reprints and everything, and you've got Mark Maddox doing the artwork. You've got these these issues that are dedicated to, like the Amicus one or the Frankenstein, the, the True Story one, just dedicated to one thing and really getting it into the nitty-gritty. And 
that's what I love. Probably won't do any more. I say this, and I could be wrong. Any single subject, we did get some negative feedback. Only well, only because if you don't like Frankenstein's true story, you don't like the Langella Dracula. There is nothing there for you. I now, can see that. Okay. And so I might still do long because our Village of the Dam feature is sixty pages long, on a you know, little black and white film from nineteen. 19- 59 out of England. Cool little film. Oh, yeah. It's, it was a thinky man's film, an intelligent film. Mm-hmm. You know, the children, leave us alone. And John Wyndham. But this is another case of how people come together. The author, Anthony McKay, is, lives in New Zealand. He's from England. He followed love down to New Zealand, married a lady, has two kids. Always fascinated by the old Bormwood MGM studio and the films they did. So I asked him, well, you want to do a couple little sidebars? And two years later, he wrote that and Children of Dam, and it's just packed with information. Wow. But Little Shop always had gaps. So you can reflect what was going on in my life when the magazine would disappear. Well, and some of it was talked about in your editorials. You know, you I have the original blog in my editorials. Ah, uh, there you go. Because that's what somebody told me. It's, you know, I come from the old school of fanzines. When you buy these magazines, you know something about the people and they open up about it, and I really open up. Yeah, you know, you married twice, now married third time, and everything goes on. I just said, okay, here's what's going on. Yeah, that makes it feel more accessible. I mean, we don't have the opportunity as a reader to talk to somebody who was involved with the Amicus films or talk to somebody who was on the set of Frankenstein, The True Story, but you know that content in the magazine prefaced with your editorial kind of telling us what's going on, it just makes it feel more like a family thing. Exactly. Yeah, we're all involved. Obviously, I have to like something about the film, although not necessarily. We did a terrific feature on Trog. <laughs> I mean, Trog, by any measure, is not very good, but it's fascinating how it come about. The stories behind Trog, I think, are more fascinating, like you said, than the film itself. The film still makes me smile. And, yeah. you know, I'll still watch it and get a kick out of it. But, no, you're right. It's it's. I don't like many Jess Franco films, but I love reading about Jess Franco. And I just bought another book off Amazon, and it came, and my wife looks at it, not another damn Jess Franco book. I said, I'm sorry, he's a fascinating character. His story, I was working with a film studio a few years ago that had some of his films, and they were kind of packaging it together to put it out as a Blu-ray. And the more I learned about him, the more I knew I didn't like his films, but the more I, yeah, just his life and how he just kept putting movies out no matter what. Sometimes it didn't seem like he cared that he was making the movies as yeah. long as he was making the movie. Exactly. He was already worrying about the next one. I tried to imagine Terrence Fisher, who I just absolutely adore. He's the only film personage I ever wanted to meet, and I finally did in 1977. But not giving his all to a project, and Jess is already, his mind is off someplace else, and he was making a deal. Yeah. I was kidding with him. I watched some of the documentaries where they talk to Jess. And he's talking. He has one tooth left in his mouth. And it's just sort of hanging in the middle. It looks like a hillbilly. And you find yourself so fixating on the tooth, you forget what he's saying. <laughs> it's just, it's, oh, my goodness. Oh, no. <laughs> but, no, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, I can't believe we're still doing it 47 years. Well, you were saying before we started recording that there really is something to... We never really grow up. We, this stuff no. keeps us young. I retired a little over three years ago. And I've always had a lot of interest beyond work. I didn't mind my work. I was successful. But these old farmers and people come in, you can't retire. You won't have nothing to do. And I say, 
don't you have a life outside of work? Don't you have any interest? Oh, I've been working my whole life. And I said, okay, then you should not retire. But when I'm gone, you'll just see the cloud of dust in my body. And I'm leaving a company I really like and the people, but I've loved every second of their movies to watch, books to read, That's right. banging emails all over the universe, it seems like, putting a magazine together. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, your focus is on British horror. Yep. For the most part, but I'm sure you've got a love for like the Universals and all this other stuff. Just your focus is more. I love British. everything. I picked the Hammer stuff because nobody was really doing it. There's always going to be a lot of people doing the classic Universal period. My favorite Universal period is the 40s. Oh, oh nice. nice. My favorite horror film, my favorite horror actor, actor period, Bela Lugosi, the original Dracula. Wow. I know people talk about how old and static and they're shooting the play but it's Bela Lugosi he transcends everything Karloff was a much superior actor but Lugosi just overwhelmed you yes that's the best way to put it I, I've been having a hard time kind of articulating what it is about Bela he overwhelms you he really does that, that presence that charisma <clears throat> he takes all those old monogram films early 40s and other stuff and you can't take your eyes off him and his voice and he's so wonderful uh why i mean white zombie to me is a great movie but you show that to anybody else it's old and creaky and you've got actors who are one step out of the silent era and never really got and then there's bella to you my friend they are the angels of death and you're going oh man that is so cool <laughs> Well, we have a game that we play on our show. It's called the Classic Five. I've got a deck of cards here, and each one of these cards has a this or that, what movie do you prefer style question. Gives us a chance to kind of just chat a little bit more, some things to talk about, icebreaker type stuff. Not that I think you and I would have trouble starting a conversation, but I'd like to play around with it with you. All right. All right, card number one. What prop from a classic monster movie would you like to own? Oh, my. One of the eagles from Horror Dracula on the post because a friend of mine has one of them oh yeah he got it from you know designed by bernard robinson the great hammer set designer and he visited his wife back in early 70s did an article for it and when i visited his house in california there's one of the eagles sitting on the table in his viewing room and i just oh god i'd love to have one of those sitting wow. there so if that disappears we know who to you call. go arrest me okay okay <laughs> Card number two. What's your favorite black and white zombie movie? And I think we probably already know what it is. White zombie. That was it, yeah. But my wife's favorite is um, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah? She just absolutely adores that film. It's a great film. Well, when we met John Russo at one of these, she had to buy a copy of the original script and get a photo taken with him. There you go. Yes, white zombie. It's just Lugosi. He's really slim and he's in shape and that face and the little goatee. It's just he's wonderful. I love everything about that film. I know the silent film, the, the actors that are, like you I said. I love the silence. It's why I like the original Dracula. There's no yes. music. It's the, it's the ambient sounds, the creaks, the scuttering of creatures on. Yeah, all yeah. of it. All of it. It's so good. All right, so this card actually is from our Universal deck. Which mummy do you prefer? Imhotep, Karis, or Claris? <laughs> well, Claris, a lot of fun. Uh, Karis. Karis? I really like the ones, well, I, I like... Cheney, but Tom Tyler was a scary bit of work. He didn't have the pot gut. He had those black eyes. Yes. They blacked out. This was a, a machine. It wasn't dragging a foot along. No, of course, I loved the Christopher Lee. And I don't even remember which, if it was Karis or whatever, but Tom Tyler, he gets it for me. 
underrated because everybody talks about Cheney, you know, but you know, Tom Tyler was the first one out of those two. He did it first. I, for the longest time, I had trouble getting the original Mummy. To me, it was so slow moving, and my wife say, you're crazy. It's the greatest film ever made. You, it just kind of creaks along for me. It does, and then when you start thinking about how much of it is almost beat for beat, the Dracula story. Yeah. <laughs> but I still love it. I still yeah. love it. Now I do, too. So this one is from our Hammer deck. What is your favorite Hammer film monster design? I knew Roy Ashton very well. I knew Phil Leakey. Those are the two major ones. I stayed with Leakey and his wife once down on the southern coast. We talked about Hammer for like 15 minutes, and for two days we talked about everything else. And Roy Ashton was the very first Hammer person who ever replied to one of my letters in 1969. And again, we stayed with him right up to his death. I stayed in contact. Wow. Uh, because it was not made to be photographed and, and analyzed now, I love the reptile. It was shot in shadows. It was The head would quickly pop out of a doorway. And you weren't noticing that you had the jagged edges around there. In the concept of the film, I think it's a wonderful design. I like that one a lot, too. I think it's underrated. I think it's one that people... Yeah. Well, they, they tear it apart because now they can look at an 8x10 still. Well, look at that. This is phony. It was made to be seen once on a big screen. Yep. Yeah, you watch the Blu-ray now, and you're like, well, I see all the seams, and boy, they couldn't know. No, it's the same way with the mummy shroud. You see the zipper in the back, or you see, the again, the incomplete makeup and Plague of the Zombies, which is a fabulous film. Oh, wonderful. One of my favorites. Nancy loves Dracula, Prince of Darkness, my wife, but in many ways, Plague of the Zombies is a superior film. It is just absolutely perfect from the actors on down. Yep, I agree. All right, final card. It's also a hammer question. Not counting the original, what is your favorite Hammer Dracula film? Does it have to have Dracula in it? Nope. Brides of Dracula is the greatest Hammer film, period. I got to shake your hand. I love yes. that film so much. It works when they're coming through Black Park and it's January and it's dark and it's dank and there's no leaves and you hear the dark, fathomless lakes and Jack Asher's color absolutely burns your retinas out. It is so beautiful. It's what I hate about films now. They're so dark I, they're, and muted. Yeah. What's the point? There's no color. I just bought the restored version of the Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments. Yeah. The Ten Commandments color is astounding. They cleaned up the party in the Red Sea. They got rid of the matte line, which I think is fine. But you look at Asher, you look at Michael Reed and the Gorgon. The Gorgon is so beautiful. The Brides of Dracula works in every essence. And when Cushing comes in that doorway, you go, oh, man. He's an action hero in that. I mean, more so in it the really first is. one. I, my, and I've been telling people wow. repeatedly, I love when he turns the windmill into a giant cross. I love that. I mean, it's so ridiculous, but I love it. So yes. it's really good. You mentioned Famous Monsters earlier. Uh, did Famous Monsters of Filmland influence what you do with the magazine? No. I mean, I read it. I was more influenced by fanzines. Famous Monsters, I outgrew pretty quick. I could go through it in 10 minutes, look at the pictures. Love Castle Frankenstein. Okay. A lot more intelligence there, but then the Cinefantastics come along, and Photon was so wonderful, and this is what I wanted to do. I never imagined it'd be slick paper with color, paintings, and that. It was me and my mother. I'm out of the service. I'm in college, living at home, sorting pages one at a time around my bed, then stapling them all together, then figuring a way to sell the darn things. Come a long way, man, and I can't wait to see what's coming up next for you guys. I hope I stay along, because... Right now, the Halloween issue is going to have our Children of the Damned. Okay. It's going to have a funny but really entertaining called 
uh, the Blood Beast Terror, about the Giant Moth one, because we got a 50-50 chance of getting Wanda Bentham to give us an interview. Uh, the second part of the Christopher Wicking Diaries. Mm-hmm. Next spring is going to be the Baker Berman films, which is like The Flesh and the Fiend about Dr. Knox. They did Blood of the Vampire. Wow. Uh, Jack the Ripper. And then we're going to do The Creeping Flesh a year from Halloween, which is Cushing, Lee. And I finally decided... I had to cover the classic ones. I kind of skipped them a bit because what was new to say, but we're going to do Horror of Dracula, Revenge of Frankenstein, and The Gorgon. And I'll be 74 or so then. I hope I'm still going. Me too, man. I really okay. appreciate everything. Right? Derek, this is great fun. Thank I'm you so, so much. I'm so glad the famous Clem took some time to talk to me. <laughs> yep. Uh, once you've had the famous Clem, you don't want anybody else. I, I can shut down and go home. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. From the boiling rage of a world hurled back one million years comes Trog, starring Joan Crawford, rated GP. Here at last, the amazing authentic story of Jack the Ripper, the unknown killer whose mass murders shocked the world. The actual cases in the actual setting. London, a city torn apart by fear and hate as the mob howled for the blood of the human monster Scotland Yard could never catch. Every lunatic and sensation seeker in London has given himself up as Jack the Ripper. Stop using that stupid name! I didn't christen him, sir, but the one who did knew what he was talking about. Have you ever seen any of his victims? Who was this arch-fiend who struck in the night? Why were prostitutes his chosen victims? Mary Clark. Mary Clark. Are you Mary Clark? Who was Mary Clark? The mystery woman who held the key to his strange passions. What was the ghastly trademark he left on every corpse? These wounds are not the savage slashings of a maniac. A careful, well-defined abdominal incisions that show a good knowledge of anatomy and surgery. Now you'll see this sensational true story from the files of Scotland Yard revealed in all its shocking scope. Girls the Ripper marked for death, caught in the grip of uncontrollable hysteria. The wild gay nights of the turbulent city shadowed by the bloodlust of the most terrifying killer of all time. The Ripper, he's done it in. The Ripper, he's done another of them. The Ripper, he's done it again. You, too, will be swept along in a spell of seething panic as the screen gives a startling answer to the most baffling question in the history of crime. Welcome to Planet 8. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a man A man Hey, guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong. Creature from the Black Lagoon or Godzilla. 
If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off. End transmission. So, I got nothing. Mitch Gonzalez, how you doing? I'm doing well, Derek. Thanks. How you doing? That was a terrible introduction. I am so sorry, man. <laughs> it's Sunday at a con. We're tired. It is. It's, it's late. I've had two cups of coffee. Uh, one protein bar. I'm running a little. So yeah. yeah yep. But don't tell Dominique I said that. I'll, I'll catch some flack. They're out of hot dogs over here, so I have to find something else. So you're myself. in trouble so too. I'm in trouble too. Yeah. <laughs> so you got here yesterday after some. Well, you got here. Was it late Friday night or Saturday? Late Friday night. After so. some terribly, terribly inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, word of advice: never ever miss a flight. I missed my flight out of Minneapolis. Well. You know, ultimately, it was my fault. I'm going to take full blame for it. Uh, I should have uh, woke up uh, an hour later. I'm sorry, an hour, an hour earlier. Uh, I should have just done that, and I would have been okay. But so, long story short, uh, instead of arriving at 3 p.m. in time for you know some festivities, I got here at 11:30, close to midnight. So it was a long day. Well, if it helps, Friday was terrible. You didn't miss anything. Friday was just awful. I'm not buying it. <laughs> you were here for the good stuff. House of the Gorgon. Yes. With special snake effects by Master Mim Monster Maker. Thank you. Mitchell Gonzalez. Thanks. Thanks a lot. It was fun. It was fun to work with uh, Josh on that. That was so cool. And the snakes, look, I've heard a lot of people talk about how great the snakes are. Oh, it's, it's, I've heard a lot of I people appreciate it. Um, talking about how they move and uh, the, the way Josh kind of worked his lighting magic with the with everything. Uh, I just heard a lot of great compliments. And they were a lot of fun. I, I appreciate it. It was a team effort. Ultimately, I, I built the snakes and kind of gave Josh some ideas how to animate them. I, I wasn't on set. I built the snakes in Minneapolis, sent them out, and then when they arrived in Texas, he put his people to use, and uh, they puppeteered them and, and got them moving. So I'm not sure, I don't know who, the names of the people that moved them on set, but uh, they did a great job. How did you connect with Josh? I, you know, Facebook friends for a few years, met Josh at uh, Monster Bash probably, it was two years ago, and then probably, I don't know, a year later, reached out to me through Facebook and said, hey, I uh, want to find out what your thoughts on how, how to do a Medusa, you know, how to do the Medusa snakes, how to do that, that effect. And so I had some ideas, uh, sent them back, and then he replied and says, okay, that sounds good. Do you want to do the effect? And uh, <laughs> I was a little scared. I was kind of, oh, that's, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm up for the challenge. Let's, let's, let's awesome. do it. So um, we got working on it, and uh, the rest is history. So is that the first time you've worked with somebody other than Chris? Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. In fact, it was funny because I, I kind of sidled up to Chris and said, uh, Chris, I'm, I'm cheating on you. <laughs> so I told him, I said, yeah, I've got an opportunity to work with Josh. And he's, he was cool with it. And I said, you know, it's not going to impact the stuff we're doing right now time-wise because everything's a deadline. we got to get stuff done. And, and like right now, I'm kind of blowing a deadline with them. But it was a loose deadline, and we worked around it just because I'm out here and I've been sick a little bit and some issues. But uh, deadlines are important. Yeah, they are. But the deadline that you're talking about is for the current film? Yes, so we're working on something right now. So when I get back uh, next weekend, a week from today, when we're recording this, I'll be making a mold in my garage of, of a monster head. And, and what's the name of the movie? It's called The Phantom Lake Kids in The Beast Walks Among Us. So uh, it's um, a loose, I'd say a loose sequel to Danny Johnson Saves the World, but it's the same kids getting into some mischievous shenanigans. 
We'll just say that. Well, all the films are connected, and I know this one's got a lot of connections yeah. from what I hear. A lot of characters are going to be revisited. It's going to be kind of a coming home movie with lots of surprises. So you, you guys have something to look forward to. It's going to be fun. That's what I hear. Yeah, Chris was talking about it on his podcast. And I, I love the interconnectedness of the Memiverse. I, yeah. I love it. Uh, he was doing it before Marvel did it, man. He, he, yeah, he was there in the beginning. I, I, maybe Marvel saw something and went, hey, you know, this guy's on to something. Let's do this. Let's, let's get a universe going. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. They saw, it came from beyond space and thought, you know what? <laughs> We need to do this. We need to tie everything together. Sometimes it might just be a passing, but but it's all a shared universe. All these monsters and things happen in this Phantom Lake area, and it's it's pretty cool. You, you can watch them all separate, but then when you watch them together and, and you know them, it just makes them extra special. If you like General Castle he, and Giant Spider, he's in the House of Ghosts. He's in you know all these other movies, including the new one, and I've seen pictures, and I can't wait oh, to great. see that in action. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. The General is back. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the things that you've done here at the Bash? Last time I was here, uh, two years ago, my first Bash, I was here, you know, as a vendor with Chris, we were selling the movies. This time I'm uh, just here as a guest, so I've been able to meet a lot of different uh, guests here, all the um, House of the Gorgon actors and actresses. You know, just meeting a lot of new people, buying stuff, you know, enjoying everybody's company. Like we say, it's a family reunion. You know, we talked over the years, you know, on Facebook, but it's always nice to get together and sit down in front of each other and, and spend time together. Been, it's been fun. We are winding down. Uh, we've got maybe, what, three, four hours left before they start locking things up. Anything else you're looking forward to? You know, right now, just saying last goodbyes to people, kind of taking maybe one more pass at the dealer shop, see if there's anything in that room I want to buy, a few things, but uh, it's just the wind down right now. I'm, I'm kind of in that in that mindset, so. Right on. Right on. Well, we got to play around with the Classic Five with you, so. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. First card, first question. Bert I. Gordon or Roger Corman? I'm going to go Roger Corman. What's your favorite Corman film? Oh, there's so many. I mean... I like the sci-fi stuff. I like X-Man with the X-ray eyes. Freaked me out when I was a kid. I love that one. That's a good one. That's so good. Attack of the Crab, creature, monsters, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, just, those are all classics. I love those. Anything with a monster, I, I'm down for. <laughs> all right, what's your favorite classic 3D movie? Oh, Creature from Black Lagoon. Now, I just got the set with The Return of the Creature, and I actually do have a 3D system at home to watch movies, so I'm collecting a lot of movies lately, so and able to watch them in 3D in my basement. The Creature movies look really good. Awesome, awesome. Third card, who else could have or should have played Dracula? I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Vincent Price. He would have been an interesting Dracula. He did a couple vampires over the years, but he never played Dracula. No, not the a Dracula, right, right. I think if he played, you know, that kind of... Vincent Price first one popped in my head. Oh, yeah. All right, well, speaking of Dracula, what's your favorite Bela Lugosi role? I like White Zombie. White Zombie, yeah, that's a that's a good, solid one. That's He's really creepy, the... The eyebrows, the goatee, mustache. Yeah, I was just thing. talking about that with Richard Clemenson. Yeah. In, in fact, I was just over in the Creepy Classics area, and they had it, a video playing, and I kind of stopped and watched a little bit of it. I like that one a lot. Right on. All right, final. I think it's the final card. Universal. Which movie do you prefer? The Monolith Monsters or Monster on the Campus? Oh, Monolith Monsters. Monolith Monsters. That is just a strange movie that works. I mean, it's just who would have thought rocks being a a monster or, or, or a threat to Earth. Right. But uh, it, it's scary. It was a good movie. In fact, I want to buy the Blu-ray. It's out now, I think, so i got to pick that up. Shout Factory is killing me. Oh, I know. I'm at a point to where my Amazon wish list is overwhelmingly huge because <laughs> yeah. of all that. So unless Universal is listening, if you want me to review them, I'd be happy to. Just drop me a line. Drop Derek a line at Monster Kid Radio. Get him some movies. There you go. <laughs> so what's coming up for you? I mean, we got 
the current MIM project, and I'm assuming you're working on the next one. Yeah, there's a couple MIM projects in, in uh, uh, production. One's shooting right now. The Marshall Lake Kids in the fan, uh, the. I'm going to screw this up. It's okay. I get it wrong every time I try to say it. <laughs> the Phantom Lake Kids meet... Uh, the Phantom Lake Kids, kids in, in... The Beast Walks Among Us. There we go. And then the other one is uh, That Which Lurks in the Dark. I'm looking forward to... I love the title of that one. Yeah. That's going to be a fun one, I think. Uh, I read the script for that one. It's going to be fun. As soon as I finish up what I'm doing for The Beast Walks Among Us, next weekend, I'm going right into monster building for that one. We're shooting that in the fall. Wow. And... You said there's there's a few. Is there anything else you can tell us, or are we keeping this all pretty? Well, I think he's posted something on Facebook saying would anybody be adverse to a Viking film. But there's there's a couple other things we've talked about. He's talked about a Viking film forever. You know what? He's going to do it. Just get it done, and and it's going to be out at some point. But you know, we'll never know when. We should go back and figure out when he first started talking about doing a western, and then how much time it took for him to actually do it. And that's how we'll figure out when the Viking movie. Will. It's a good way to project that out. <laughs> for what it's worth, Chris, if you're listening, and I told you this on Facebook, in your most recent episode of your podcast, you mentioned some potential titles. Eel Men. I want an Eel Men movie. Just saying, it sounds awesome. That's the first time hearing that one. Mitch, I love hanging out with you. I wish that I lived closer to you guys or travel was a lot easier because... And I'd love to see what you do in your workshop when you're making the masks or just hang out. Well, time you're in town, though, we are going to get you up for a premiere at some point. Someday. We're going to get you up there. You're going to come over to the house. We'll watch some 3D movies in the basement, eat popcorn. I'll show you the lab. <laughs> I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil, and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, 
like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Frankenstein's monster can be destroyed by fire. Dracula by a silver stake driven through his heart. But nothing, nothing will avail against the absolute evil of the creeping flesh. A scientific experiment turns into a nightmare as a creature from hell, buried since the dawn of time, is restored to life. The creeping flesh will infect the innocent with its malignant power. The creeping flesh will drive the insane to new excesses of madness and murder. The creeping flesh from Columbia Pictures, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We are still bashing at Monster Kid Radio, so let's take a look at an event FM covered in issue 97 from April of 1973, the Monster Movie Marathon in Horrorwood, California. It was organized by John and B. Joe Trimble, who are famous for their work with Star Trek fandom. The article is loaded with lists of movies that were featured, over a hundred, and a transcript of the opening speech given by FM's editor. It continues with a brief description of a number of the notable films shown. As old as the silent classic Trip to the Moon, and as new as Beware of the Blob. As classic as the Oscar-winning Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and as cheesy as The Thing with Two Heads. The festival was a smorgasbord of classic films that in those days it would be hard to see anywhere else. The article concludes with this look at the final banquet and awards show. Climaxing the great convention was a banquet with Robert Psycho Block as Master of Ceremonies. As Ghostmaster General of America, he sounded a clarion call for more phantoms and less opera in horror films, and it was his pleasant duty to announce the winners of the world's first Jean Melier Awards. Imagine sitting in a packed banquet hall at tables of 10, where every table had a celebrity. Dinner with Marcel Kong Delgado. Supper with Kirk Superman Allen. Breaking bread with Barry Nightstalker Atwater. A meal with Ruben Jekyll and Hyde Mamoulian. Or Richard Duell Matheson. Ham with a ham like F.J. Ackerman. Turkey with a producer who scarcely knows the meaning of the word. George Powell. Tea with George Takei. Coffee with Curtis Harrington. Roast beef of a man rarely roasted or beefed about Gene Roddenberry. Dessert with Jim Danforth. And then, the awards. Over 1,000 fans had the opportunity to vote, and the winners in each category were Best Theatrical Science Fiction, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Best Theatrical Horror, Bride of Frankenstein. Best Theatrical Fantasy, King Kong. Best Sci-Fi TV, Demon with a Glass Hand. Best Horror TV, The Night Stalker. Best Fantasy TV, The People. That's all for now. For MKR, this is Kenny, and we just took a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland.
Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is The Mummy's Return. It is from The Haunt of Fear, number 16, the July-August issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Jack Kamen. So sit back, relax, while I tell this tale of the undead. Dateline, 2902 BC, the ancient Egyptian court of Pharaoh, King Khufu. Khufu wanted to marry the daughter of the high priest Nera. He thought she was a honey. Sadly for him, Nera was in love with Famu, the courier. Khufu set Famu on a mission to the pyramids where he was accosted, wrapped in mummy bandages, and put in a sarcophagus alive. Khufu convinced Nera that Famu left her, and by and by got her to marry him. They were wed, and Nera gave birth to Khufu's son. That was a mistake. Now that he had an heir, Khufu had no further use for his bride. He kicked her out of the palace. Nera had men search far and wide for Famu, the man she loved and lost. Finally, one of the soldiers that had accosted Famu fessed up to his crime. She visited her father, the high priest, so that he would help Famu. He said no, he couldn't but he gave her a scroll that contained a prayer to bring back the dead. Nera went to the resting place of Famu and recited the prayer, but Khufu found her and killed her before she could complete the prayer. Her body laid on the floor, clutching the scroll for thousands of years. Until one day, the pyramid was discovered and searched by archaeologists Tom and Nina. Nina was the descendant of King Khufu and engaged to Tom. Another one of the archaeologists, Carl, also loved Nina. The three found the room with Famu's mummy and saw Nera's skeleton clutching the scroll on the floor. Nina recognized the prayer on the scroll as one that raises the dead. Later that night, Nina was alone in the pyramid, decoding the prayer. She began to read it when Carl entered. He insisted she leave Tom and marry him. When she refused, he decided to kill her rather than lose her. Nina fainted at the sight of Carl's raised dagger. She didn't see the mummy of Famu leave his sarcophagus and attack Carl and killed him. When Tom finally showed up, he found Nina waking up from her shock and Carl dead, covered in dust and mummy wrappings. And Famu, the mummy, is missing. The End I hope you enjoyed my unwrapping of this story. Why is it that mummies always seem to have their hearts broken? Is it only tragic love that can span thousands of years? Well, in this story, one set of star-crossed lovers saves another. I like how Carl has the same impulse as King Khufu. He just didn't have the throne to back up his greedy love. Carl got what he deserved, though, and Khufu got away with his bad behavior. And that's too bad. There were no real surprises in the story. There are only a few ways the story can go when you put dramatic action in a pyramid's burial chamber. Chekhov's mummy is sure to wake up and get to work. I'm partial to Jack Kamen's art. His lines are very clear and have a classic Golden Age style. 
Nera reminded me of an old-school Wonder Woman. She's beautiful lounging around the throne room, and Khufu looked deliciously wicked in his purple raiments. If you're interested in a copy of The Haunt of Fear Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed this story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics, and Bat Books for Beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter, at Professor Frenzy, and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting new projects we have coming up. Stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Good evening, Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go Forth, Game! Good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. From Haiti, land of the voodoo, comes the most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the Undead Damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies? Yes. They are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Pink boy, a silver bottle, in a glass of wine, or perhaps a flower. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. 
captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halevi! Halev! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, Bela Dracula Lugosi as the master of the white zombie. Zombie! Halabi! Halabi! From award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan, White Zombie, a new novel based on the classic motion picture. What do you see? Neil asked. Madeline peered into the wine glass, pretending to be a fortune teller, and for a moment her head reeled. She did see something within the depths of the cup. Terrible dark eyes staring up at her, boring into her mind. The eyes of that awful man they'd encountered in the road. You see? She felt dizzy now, really dizzy, and her throat was tight, as if cold hands were closing around her neck. What is it? Neil asked, concerned. The eyes burned into her. She couldn't breathe. I see, she managed to gasp. Death. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. There is no other way. So, the person we're speaking with right now, I feel like I have a connection with, a bond, a trauma bond. <laughs> I ran into him at the airport. I, I thought it was you, and then I was kind of trying to look without being creepy at the name tag on Oh, your... you were creepy. Oh, <laughs> thanks, thanks. This is Sam Irvin. How are you doing, man? Great, Derek. Thank you so much for having me on your show. How long have you been coming to Monster Bash? Well, this is my second time. I came two years ago okay. at, just as a, an attendee, and I absolutely fell in love with this convention. It's literally my favorite convention. And I wanted to come back last year, but I was busy directing a movie and couldn't come. And uh, this year, I said, I am definitely coming. I had a pocket between movies, and I have a table this year. So I'm actually uh, meeting the fans and signing stuff, and it's just been the f most fun. It's, I've just had such a blast. Yeah, despite our mutual airplane trouble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I live in Los Angeles, and getting here, there's no direct flight to Pittsburgh, so fly through Chicago, you know, delays, connections, missed. I mean, it's just, uh, it's always a, a, a bit, an all-day affair. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. I am kind of dreading the flight home tomorrow because I'm sure there's going to be another problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm going to hold on to the memories of Monster Bash. Yes. Like, you're right. It's, it's the worth best it. fun. It's amazing. It's, it's fantastic. The, the thing that I love, it's, it has a family 
atmosphere. And what I mean by that, I mean, you know, there are moms and dads and kids, but what I'm talking about is our extended family as monster kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I written for like little shop of horrors magazine and the editor publisher of that is Dick Clemenson. And I corresponded with him ever since 1972 when he started that fanzine and I started my own fanzine back then called bizarre. Well, I, you know, mine lasted like four years till I got out of school and then I went on to be a director. Well, he's continued to do that magazine all these decades And, you know, I had never met him, even after he had me guest edit the entire issue on the making of Frankenstein, the true story a couple of years ago. Rondo award winning. Which I very proudly won a Rondo for. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, But I had never gotten to meet him in person. So we decided the magazine was coming out in June of two years ago. And we're like, we're going to launch it and premiere the magazine here at Monster Bash. So it was great to do that and to meet him. I also got to meet the cover artist, Mark Maddox, who we became instant friends. And I could tell you 10, 15 other stories of people who mean so much to me that I hadn't gotten to meet in person. And we all meet here and we stay up till all hours of the night chatting in the lobby of the hotel. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's, it's an amazing experience. And yeah. I, I don't want it to end. I mean, I know no. it has to. We have real lives to get back to, but yeah. it's such an amazing time. It is. It's like a family reunion. It really is. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite things that you've done this weekend? Gosh, it was really fun attending the American premiere of the House of the Gorgon last night. I'm so glad you got in. And uh, Joshua Kennedy is such a such a fun guy and such a fan of Hammer and to have this movie with Carolyn Monroe and Martine Beswick and Veronica Carlson and Christopher Neem and it's like holy crap he just you know just went went nuts I wanted you know people were like oh it's going to be really crowded I, I'll just get the DVD and I was like no way I want to see it with the full house right. of people who totally get all those references and I wanted to sit in that theater and as everybody knows Martine Beswick and Veronica Carlson and Christopher Neem and the director, writer, Joshua, are they're here this weekend. So to be in that theater with a full house of absolute diehard Hammer fans, plus Martine, Veronica, Christopher, and Joshua all in there, I needed to be in that room. And, and it was electric. It was so much fun. It was amazing. I, I watched the very beginning of it. I had to get up and walk around. And I'd seen it so many times since yeah. I did on it. But I did sneak in at the end uh, to watch like the last 15 minutes and, and, and listen to it. Yeah. And... I mean, the crowd got it. They totally did. They totally did. And I and I need to change attorneys. I need to hire the Cushing Lee Price attorney firm, <laughs> which, for those who haven't seen the movie, is uh, is one of Veronica Carlson's hilarious lines, and it just everyone burst out laughing. It was great. That that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome. But there are tons of references in that. Uh, yeah. You know, the Dr. Fives thing with the organ and all the yes. pictures on the wall. Oh my God, like, people. If, if, if Carol, <laughs> Caroline Monroe is playing the organ like Dr. Fives in the beginning. I was cracking up. It was just fabulous. <laughs> the day's winding down. The, the con's winding down. Anything else you're looking forward to today? Again, just spending time with all my pals. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm t- kind of tethered to the table and it's fantastic and, and I love meeting fans and signing stuff and everything else but the other half of this is just spending time with friends sitting in the lobby you know shooting shooting the breeze i've been tethered to my tables too so i totally get it yeah i get a chance to walk around and do a few things here and there but 
I still feel like I've, I've gotten a rich experience. Oh, totally. Just sitting here and watching people walk by with big grins on their faces and yeah. saying, hey, how's it going? And then, of course, staying up way too late last night, just yeah. talking about monster movies. And I'm sure we're going to do it again tonight. Oh, we will indeed. The bash does not end at 5 o'clock, no, is what the program says. No, it does not. <laughs> you mentioned... You're a director. Uh, right now, you've been working on a lot of uh, the Hallmark films. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, right now, I'm like the, one of the guys that does a ton of Hallmark movies and a ton of Lifetime movies. Okay. Mostly thrillers for the Lifetime Network. Right on. And Christmas movies and romantic comedies for uh, for Hallmark. Last year, I directed six of these movies, which was the most I'd ever done in my whole career in one year. There were five thrillers for Lifetime and one Christmas movie. And this year, I'm going to do at least four. You know, so I'm just busier than ever. But what monster fans are going to want to hear about (laughs) is that my big pride and joy of my career is that I directed the second Elvira movie called Elvira's Haunted Hills. And that was the film that I had the most fun, the most passion to do. And uh, it was just absolutely incredible. to move you won't be able to scream you won't be able to take your eyes off of Elvira's Haunted Hills allow me to present Elvira yeah nice meeting you too Elvira entertainer extraordinaire see Elvira stretch herself as an actress in her most challenging role I just Butterflies ever so much. Richard O'Brien in his most horrifying performance since the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, why? 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 Snap out of it. Now, what are you going for, an Oscar? A film that is so steamy. Lord have mercy. (laughs) So shocking. That's another unfortunate Elzebeth's family trait. Catalepsy. You'll die laughing. Damn, hate when that happens. From the masterfully macabre mind of Elvira. Right, like there's something going on in my mind. Elvira's Haunted Hills. The village people say this castle is evil. Yeah, who listens to the village people anymore? Well, I started my career as Brian De Palma's assistant, and I worked on The Fury and Dressed to Kill, and I was just a huge fan of his. And then I worked my way up to being a director. My first feature film was Guilty as Charged, and it was it starred Rod Steiger as a madman who kidnapped murderers and fried them on his own electric chair. Wow. And it was a dark comedy, and it, it but it, we had a lot of German expressionistic sets and his dungeon, and, you know, it was, it was definitely a horror sort of, you know, uh, wicked, sly comedy it was came out in 1991 now the first elvira film was about 1988 and i was a huge fan of elvira when my film guilty as charged came out not long after that i went to i was living in california in la went to this hollywood party that was thrown by a friend of mine named terry sweeney now terry sweeney was a cast member of saturday night live in the 80s right right he he was the one who was famous for doing nancy reagan in drag and (laughs) he's a hilarious guy and i actually know his husband who we went to school together so 
they invited me to this party and I look across the room and there is Cassandra Peterson and I'm like, holy moly, I need to meet her. So I go over and we start talking and I fawn and tell her how much I love her and how much I love the first Elvira movie. And she said, and what do you do? And I said, I'm a director. I have my first feature is called Guilty as Charged. And she went, oh. I just saw that movie and I love that movie and I've been wanting to meet you because if I ever do another Elvira film, I want you to direct it. And I'm like, what? This is, is this what people do at Hollywood parties? Is it, you know, how many glasses of wine has she had? So we became instant friends. The next movie I did was a Showtime thriller called Acting on Impulse and it was about a scream queen played by Linda Ferentino whose producer has been killed and she's kind of blamed or you know people think that she did the murder and so she's had to go on the lam and try to solve the murder herself and it's got this incredible cast Nancy Allen, C. Thomas Howell, uh, and if you look it up on IMDb, you won't believe it. Every every single person in the movie is another name person. And um, anyway, I called up Cassandra and I said, would you come and do a cameo in this movie? And so she plays, not, not Elvira, but a bouncer at a country western bar. And she's sort of carding people as they go in. And she cards Nancy Allen and Linda Fiorentino and C. Thomas Howell as they go in. And she's kind of improvising funny little asides and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she played it. She borrowed a blonde wig from Daryl Hannah. And she kind of did a Dolly Parton-esque sort of, you know, character. And it was hilarious. And we had a great time. And so we kind of kept in touch over the years. Nothing was happening about an Elvira movie. You know, many years go by. And about um, maybe 1999, I get a call from her. And she goes, okay, my husband and I are going to finance the next Elvira film. We're tired of everybody saying no. We're going to do it ourselves. I'll be honest with you, we are interviewing some other directors, but I always wanted to, you know, at least give you a shot and I want you to come in and meet with us. So I went in to have a meeting and she hands me the script to Elvira's Haunted Tales and she goes, now that's a spoof of the Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe, Roger Corman movies. Are you familiar with those? And I'm like, Cassandra, am I familiar End of Pit in the Pendulum, Vincent Price's monologue. Do you know where you are, Bartolome? You are about to enter hell. Hell, the Neverworld, the Infernal Region, the Abode of the Damned, a place of torment, Gehenna, Naraka, the Pit, and the Pendulum, the razor edge of destiny, thus the condition of man, bound on an island from which he can never or hope to escape, surrounded by the waving pit of hell, which must destroy him finally. She looked at me like... (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. She looked at me like I was crazy and then said, you're hired. And she knew that I totally got what they were up to. And in the same way that Mel Brooks made Young Frankenstein as a Valentine to the Universal horror films, you know, the the original Frankenstein stuff, this was our love letter to the Corman, Price, Poe movies. And they were the movies that were seminal favorites of ours when we were growing up and and both of us got to know Vincent Price really well. I mean, we were really good friends with his and we dedicated the movie to him. I The reason I knew that monologue is when I was in junior high school, drama class or something, they wanted us to do a monologue and they wanted us to do Shakespeare, you know, something, you know, scholarly. And I'm like, um, could I do Edgar Allan Poe? And they're like, okay, yeah, that's scholarly. And of course, I go and transcribe Richard Matheson's monologue from the movie and passed it off as as Poe, and they didn't know any better. <laughs> yes. So, 
and I re- and I've remembered it obviously to this day. I was not doing a cheat sheet there or reading off of anything. You can attest to that, Derek. That's right, right off the top of your head, man. And it came in handy and got me that job. It was basically dropping El- the Elvira character into a, a Price Corman Poe movie in the 1800s. Has nothing to do with the first movie. I mean, it's not a sequel. It's a, it's its own thing. So we went to Romania, we built all these incredible sets, and, and it was incredible. She Basically, Elvira ends up in a castle, and there's a weird guy who's, who's living there, like the Vincent Price characters in House of Usher and Pit and the Pendulum and Haunted Palace and all of those. And so we tried to get Christopher Lee to do the Price character, and he turned it down. We tried to get Mick Jagger, of all people. He, he turned it down. And then someone recommended Richard O'Brien, who played Riff Raff and Rocky Har. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Richard O'Brien wrote Rocky Har. He wrote the play. He wrote the adaptation screenplay when it was made into a movie. He wrote the music and all the lyrics. So, I mean, he is Mr. Rocky Har. Well, he also happens to be a diehard Vincent Price fan. And he totally got what we were doing. It was the perfect casting of all, and it was just fantastic. I mean, what a brilliant guy. That's amazing. So it was, it was great. And if you haven't seen the movie, and if, you're, if you love Vincent Price and those movies, it is just, an, it's just a kick. I mean, is it currently available for people to see somewhere? You can get it on Amazon. Um, Cassandra, it, it was out on DVD and stuff, and um, because Cassandra was the producer and owns, owns the movie, those licensing rights have finally expired and she now has it all back in her lap and she is just now starting to shop it around for Blu-ray. Wow. So it'll be coming out on Blu-ray, we hope, you know, in the next year or so, we hope. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it'd be great. Very cool. Well, I know you're a monster kid. I know you love this stuff. Oh boy, do I ever. We have a game that we play on the show. Yeah? It's called the Classic Five. Yeah? I've got a deck of cards here. Each oh. one of these cards has a question about classic monster movies. Oh God. It's not trivia. It's more of a, which do you prefer, this or that? Okay. You know, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. No wrong answers. It's just you know, conversation starters about this stuff. Okay. So. I'm terribly nervous. Oh, no, don't be, don't be. <laughs> All right, so this this card actually comes from our Monster Bash expansion deck. Yeah. Who was the most recent celebrity you saw at Monster Bash? Martine Beswick and Veronica Carlson. I mean, I met them practically at the same time. Martine, I actually directed 25 years, 20, almost 25 years ago. You were telling me about this in the airport when we were stuck. Yeah. Um, I did a film for Full Moon, Charlie Band's company. It was his kids' label, Moonbeam. And it was a film called Magic Island. It was a time travel, fantasy, pirate movie. We had stop motion animation of a stone giant, all sorts of magic and stuff. So it's a, definitely a genre film. And there was a three-headed tiki god that was kind of a puppet, sort of Jim Henson sort of thing. And I needed three really distinctive voices. And one of the heads was female and the other two were men. So I invited to come to a recording studio, Martine Beswick, Isaac Hayes, the Oscar winner for a theme from Shaft, 
And I also brought in Terry Sweeney, the, the one from Saturday Night Live that I was talking about, where I met a Cassandra at his party. And the three of them had the biggest blast in the recording studio, having fun, bringing this three-headed tiki god to life. And uh, and it was fantastic. Okay, flash forward 20, almost 25 years, and I meet Martine here. And I say, oh, you know, you're not going to remember this. It was an hour of your life 25 years ago. But I did, you know, direct you for half a second in this movie. And she goes, I totally remember it, darling, especially because of Isaac Hayes. I was so impressed. And, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, she, and Martine's just such a kick. And so we've had a really nice little reunion and, and actually gotten to know her better. And it was fantastic. Now, Veronica Carlson, I uh, met two years ago at Monster Bash. And so she, we, had, we had gotten to know each other a little bit there and uh, reconnected here. So it was, it was great. Very cool. All right, card question number two. Who is your favorite... I'm going to know the answer to this. Who's your favorite horror host? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Let's see. Spin. Go, oh, no. I'm, uh, all right. Elvira. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's iconic. Yeah. Let's go on to another question. That's an obvious. Yeah, that's an obvious. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Who do you prefer? John Agar or Nick Adams? Oh, wow. Boy, that's a tough one. I like both of them. Mm, maybe John Agar. <laughs> I hear he rules. Yeah, uh, yeah. No diss to Nick. <laughs> All right, this question's come up with a lot of people this weekend. Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or Jason and the Argonauts? Seventh Voyage. Is that the yeah. first one you saw? Yeah. Of the two? Yeah. It was. A, I, I think that happens a lot. I think it's the first one you see is just that Harry and magic. I'm telling you. I was such a Harryhausen fan, and when I did these films for Full Moon in the mid-90s, I did Oblivion, and it's the sequel, Backlash Oblivion 2, and then did Magic Island, the one that Martine did a voice for. In those, we did stop-motion creatures. We had giant scorpions in, in Oblivion, we had the stone giant in Magic Island... And I was in Harryhausen tribute heaven. You know, it was like, I finally get to do my Harryhausen moments. And uh, I mean, it wasn't obviously Harryhausen doing them, but I mean, obviously anyone working in stop motion animation, he's he's all of our God, you know? Yes. So it was just, there wasn't a second that we weren't thinking of Ray Harryhausen. I don't think anybody can be doing any stop motion without thinking about Of course. I mean, you, you just yeah. can't. No, you, you just can't. can't. You can't. All right, this is uh, from our Hammer Deck. Yeah, oh, cool. Which Hammer film could use just one more sequel? Wow. I mean, obviously the Dracula series or the or Frankenstein series. I mean, it would just be unbelievable to have another one of those. But with, you know, I mean, we have to have Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing. And that unfortunately is not going to happen unless we hire, you know, Lucasfilm to... Bring Cushing back again the way they did in the Star Wars movie. Well, they've got all that footage of, of Lee, you know, as yeah. the prequels. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that would be incredible. Um, you know, it would be nice to do another Karnstein movie. Uh, Ingrid Pitt's no longer with us. I mean, can you imagine bringing back these people? But, yeah, I mean, God, there are just so many great Hammer films. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my favorite ones is Brides of Dracula, which did not have Dracula in my it. My man. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to sequel to that. I mean, it's kind of its own sort of standalone in a way. And, uh, you know, gosh. The, anyway, so many. So many. Another Dracula would be good because 
I, I love the Satanic Rites. I love them all. Yeah. But Satanic Rites of Dracula ends on such a kind of a, a whimper. Yeah, yeah. I want I want more. And I know yeah. Lee was kind of over it at that point, but yeah. still. He was over it. <laughs> he was over it like three fruit mills yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. But I will, I mean, okay, I know this, uh, a lot of people disagree. I'm just, n- I'm not a huge fan of the two modern day okay. Draculas. I'm, I'm kind of a gothic purist. And so for me, the last of the really true ones was was uh, Scars. I don't even want to talk about the legend of the seven golden vampires, which I don't know. Some, <laughs> I know a lot of people have a soft spot for that one too, but with A, without Lee, and B, it just the whole mashup with the Kung Fu stuff just didn't do much for me. Okay, and, fair enough. Uh, you know, and Scars of Dracula gets really dumped on, but it had some pretty freaking cool moments. I thought, you know, him crawling up the wall and, you know, down the wall and stuff, that was really cool. I mean, it has its moments, but it would be really cool to see another traditionally gothic Dracula film where we're not in Hong Kong and we're not in modern day London. If they were going to do another Dracula, that would be the one I'd want to see. Right on. Well, I am going to pull another card since that horror film is kind of a gimme. What is your go-to film to introduce somebody to classic horror films? Well, my favorite film of all time is The Bride of Frankenstein. So many people say that for this one. So many people. Yeah. To me, that is the just the absolute ultimate. And I was incredibly lucky to have been one of the producers of Gods and Monsters. That's right. You were talking about that. And there was the movie that starred Sir Ian McKellen as James Whale. And uh, it was di- written and directed by the magnificent Bill Condon who won the Oscar for that movie for Best Adapted Screenplay based on the book by Christopher Bram. And I i mean, the, the hair on the back of my neck was standing on end the entire time I was working on that project. It was such a labor of love for all of us. But the most exciting moment of making that movie was there's a flashback scene on the set of Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. We got to recreate the laboratory set on a stage in Hollywood, and I made sure, all of us made sure, that it was duplicated down to the letter. We found the original electrical equipment that Kenneth Strickfadden really? made for the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. I, don't think I knew that was the original stuff. That's yes. great. Yes. And it's, it's floated around to, you know, different private collectors, and Mel Brooks tracked it down and used some of it in Young Frankenstein. Um, it had also been used in a, in a pretty bad movie of Frankenstein versus Dracula, or is it Dracula versus Dracula Frankenstein? Dracula versus Frankenstein. Thank you. I love that movie. How Thank dare you. you I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. I, but I but know. They did. But I, know. Um, I remember reading about that them finding that equipment in Famous Monsters of Filmland. Talked all about it because Forrest Ackerman had a cameo in the movie, and so he was promoting the hell out of it in the magazine. And I remember them talking about finding that equipment for that movie, and then reading a few years later. That, that Mel Brooks used it and all. So when it came time for us to do it, I'm like, that equipment's around somewhere. We're going to find it. And we did. And it was uh, just incredible. And we found kind of lookalike actors for Ernest Thesiger and Colin Clive and Elsa Lanchester. And there's a later scene at a, 
at a George Cukor party where uh, Boris Karloff and Elsa Lanchester reunite and we found this dead ringer for Boris Karloff and I, oh my God, I was just in heaven, in heaven. That movie is phenomenal. Well, thank you. I was in Bozeman, Montana when it came out and me and my friend were the only two people in the theater, sadly. It just didn't hit with the people that I cared to hang around with at the time. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. oh, you know, you guys are missing out. This movie yeah. is special. It is special. And it was a huge, very big awards season thing. It was uh, with the National Board of Review. It swept. It won Best Picture, Best Actor for Ian McKellen, Best Supporting Actress for Lynn Redgrave, Best Director for Bill Condon, Best Screenplay for Bill Condon. It was nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes, and Lynn Redgrave ended up winning the Golden Globe for Supporting Actress. And for the Oscars, it was up for Best Actor for Ian McKellen, Best Supporting for Lynn Redgrave, and it won, as I said, the Best best Screenplay, Best Adapted Screenplay. I think it's easily one of Brendan Fraser's best performances. Absolutely. One of his best. Absolutely. And it's one of my all-time favorites of Ian McKellen, and that's saying a lot because he's always brilliant. Yes, he is. It's just, uh, I just feel so, so lucky to have been part of it. Defilers of the Dead. Vicious violators of the innocent. The fiendish ghouls. Two of history's most diabolic demons, selling cadavers and corpses to the sinister Dr. Knox for his forbidden experiments. We heard you like them fresh, sir. This one's as fresh as a new-cut cabbage. I'll give you seven guineas. One, two... The Fiendish Ghouls. No one was safe from the bloodlust of these depraved grave robbers these sadistic murderers. You killed shock, terror upon terror, shatter the screen in The Fiendish Ghoul. This may be what we've been listening for for the past four years. At last, contact with another planet, but it's really contact with nightmare. From out of this world, from out of the vast, frightening unknown, come the Terranauts. Something came out of the sky. 
picked the building up bodily and, and tore it out of the ground. One moment on solid from near Earth, the next kidnapped into an, an enemy world. destroyed or driven into caves like savages unless we can unless we stop this enemy first we must wait till we're within range you'll thrill to the most fantastic intergalactic battle ever a warring asteroid challenged by a handful of humans a million miles out in space determined to save the Earth from the Terranauts. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. You need to take out the trash. I don't have time for that now. We have two podcasts I have to create a new promo for. What? Both JLU cast and Supermates? Yes. JLU cast where you and I discussed the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series from Bruce Timm and company. And Supermates, our original show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff, including our annual House of Frankenstein series on classic horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But how do we combine this into one promo? I have no idea, but it sounds like we're doing our original Supermates promo all over again. I kind of think we are, but hey, other folks kind of aped it, so it must have worked. Well, why don't you get to work taking out the trash and I'll finish up. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. On JLU Cast and Supermates, both proudly part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, found at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. presents Dr. Tongue's World of Monster Collectibles. Spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to. Dateline, the internet. Well, with the San Diego Comic-Con wrapping up this last weekend, there was a lot of new product shown, with a lot of it set to be released in the upcoming fourth quarter. Now, mind you, I have only to rely on what I see on the internets out there. I really can't afford to go to these cons. Over at the NECA booth, there were a lot of modern horror figures shown as usual. The usual titles were present, Aliens and Predator, of course. The Halloween franchise, Chucky and his Bride, Pennywise from It, Leatherface, etc, etc, etc. Not too much of interest there for the classic horror aficionado, but I do have an eye on that Night of the Demons 2-pack featuring the Stooge and Linnea Quigley as Suzanne. <laughs> How could you go wrong? And heading over to the Creepsville 666 booth, they were coming out with a mess of new Elvira merchandise, including those classic nudie-style ink pens. You know the type. Turn it upside down and the clothes disappear. Turn it right side up and they reappear as the ink runs back into the pen. Unfortunately, it's only down to her skivvies, but hey, you have to take what you can get, right? Also available were pins were uh, Vampira, and for the ladies, Vincent Price. Excellent. And once again, Retro Agogo had the goods with their jumbo-sized vacuum-form wall masks and lots and lots of monster enamel pins and patches. 
Shown were the prototype masks for the monsters and what looked to be a really cool licensed creature from the Black Lagoon, although I couldn't get a great look at it at the pics that I saw. And a special tip of the hat to the Mezco booth, where they showed off some promising Hanna-Barbera figures from Scooby-Doo, Birdman, and Space Ghost. Oh, and let's not forget to mention the 12-inch Morbius the Living Vampire figure that's set to come out next year. I can hardly wait. As far as exclusives of note at the show, the one that stood out for me was the reaction gold-plated Maria figure from Metropolis, done up as a tribute to the classic Kenner Power of the Force C-3PO action figure. It even included the coin. That, of course, was from our friends over at Super 7. And speaking of Super 7, they've announced that their next batch of Universal Monster stuff should start flowing out in late August, early September. That's new reactions, new Halloween buckets, and a ton more. And this is a clarification on something I reported last time. Mego has finally revealed their Phantom of the Opera figure, set for an August release. And to my relief, it is a very, very nice-looking Cheney version from the 1925 silent classic. Artist Spotlight! Okay, I'm going to try to dredge up another memory from your childhood. Well, hopefully your childhood. I know it is for mine. Do you remember the cool crap you used to get out of those old-school vending machines? You know, the classic coin-operated machines that you'd get goofy, crazy different types of toys out of in a plastic bubble? Plop your nickel-dime or quarter? Man, those quarter ones always had the best prizes. And you'd get a plastic capsule full of a mystery toy. I know getting my prize possessions in those days were those little weird rubber monsters and lots and lots of bugs and snakes. And they were always in those types of machines. Well, this next artist that I'm going to introduce you to remembers those days as well, and he is not going to let the past escape him. As a matter of fact, he's bringing back those good old days, mind you for a tad bit more money, by making his own rubber monster creations. Zach Amendolia, out of San Francisco, is a master at creating the weird and unusual in rubber monster form. He sculpts, casts, and paints the most amazing creations you can imagine in that old familiar rubber style. Pop on an elastic string into the head and voila, you have an instant memory. My words do not do these creations justice. Now, by far, my favorite creation that Zach makes is a thing he calls the King Fingor. Imagine one of those small monster rubber finger puppets that you used to play with when you were a kid. Now enlarge that about 10, 20 times, and you have a King Fingor. It is essentially, at this point, a hand puppet as you can put your whole entire fist inside. You need to head on over and check Zach's amazing workout over at Instagram at Mr. Jiggler. That's M-R period J-I-G-G-L-E-R. There you will also find a link to his store NV shop. And just in case you want to get your jiggle on, you can also sign up for his email list so you can get all the updates for all the fun to come. Most, if not all of his creations are limited editions and they sell out fairly fast. Oh, and did I mention he runs a contest every other month or so? It's called Monster's Booty. You buy turns from an actual bubble vending machine, and Zach stocks it and includes lots and lots of his creations, as well as some classics from the past. And he posts the results on Instagram. Feeling lucky, punk? Well, are you? Check out Mr. Jiggler online. Vintage Monster Toys! Well, I've covered a lot of vintage plastic monster figures in the past few months, so why not include these? MPC Company, back in the 50s and 60s, was a plastic figure-producing giant. They were almost as prolific 
at turning out figures and playsets as marks. In the early to mid-60s, MPC produced a couple of different, yet the same great set of monsters, just in different sizes. First, there was deemed the Pop-Top Horrors. These were roughly 5-6 to six inch tall figures, with great figure and detail, and you could pop their heads off and swap them around. So, Skeleton Witch, anyone? Maybe a Reaper Mummy? Now, this series of Pop-Tops is great and all, but my heart lies with the smaller versions of the monster, simply known as weird monsters. This set of eight different little two and a half inch tall figures came in multiple colors and were available in lots of different ways. In the set, there was the Reaper, which was a Reaper, a skeleton holding a bat in his hand, a witch with a bat on her shoulder, a werewolf, the executioner with a knife in his hand and a skull in the other, a great menacing looking mummy, a phantom Dracula looking character draped in a cape, and what is often called the Frankenstein's monster, but to me looks more like a zombie. I have seen these figures come in several different packages as several different types of toys. MPC got a lot of mileage out of these little guys. They were originally released on an 8-pack card with a bubble with some very cool card art. Under the title, simply, Weird Monsters. Then there was the super rare and extremely cool Haunted Hulk Ghost Boat that has been talked about previously here on MKR. They were released as the Horror House Target Set, where you could shoot at the Horribles with a harmless styrofoam ball shooting gun. And MPC also released a Checkers Set using the monsters, in red and black of course, as the pieces. Now, this last release I'm going to talk about is the one everybody seems to remember these little monsters from. In the late 60s, early 70s, Frito-Lay used the monsters as in-pack prizes in specially marked packages of Frito brand corn chips. They even gave them goofy names to accompany the monsters. The Reaper became the Cool Ghoul. Mummy was simply Mad Mummy. The Skeleton was named Bony Tony. The Phantom, and I'm not sure why, was called Few Manchu. The Zombie Frankenstein monster was named Slewfoot. The Witch, of course, was called Batty Bertha. Why not? Wolfman, Harry Scary. How predictable. And the one that puzzles me to this day... The Executioner was simply called the Gay Blade. It's a knife, people, not a sword. <sighs> now, you can find these little guys around in a plethora of colors. Orange, black, purple, green, and on the rarer side, red. But people will argue with me on that. I believe that the color was only in the checkers set, making it a tad rare. And there's a few different shades of glow-in-the-dark plastic. And these have risen in price due to popularity in recent years. But if you keep your eyes on the lookout, you'll be able to find them at a decent price. I wanted to take a moment and say thanks to Derek here at MKR for the opportunity to run these little segments. And I'd appreciate any feedback that you have out there. That is, if you have any. Lastly, I just want to add that I'm not really a super monster toy expert, nor anything else I talk about here on MKR. I'm merely an excited monster enthusiast. I simply know just enough to get myself in trouble. But don't we all? You got any sneak peeks of monster merchandise coming out soon? Drop Derek a line and he'll forward it along to me here at MKR. And hey, if you're interested, you can see what's happening at my toy shop over on Instagram at Dr. Tongue's Toys, as well as on Facebook under Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop. Or on my private account, MonsterMan64, to see some of the cool stuff I pick up for my personal monster collection. 
This is Mark Dr. Tongue Peterson saying, Happy monster collecting, everybody. I'm out. Peace. The Brides of Dracula. Never, never before has a motion picture revealed so much of the mystical, the unnatural. The Brides of Dracula. Out of the unknown darkness he comes. The handsomest, the most evil Dracula of them all bringing horror beyond human endurance to a fashionable girl's school. Who can resist him as one by one he seeks out his fresh, innocent victims? Who will be next to know his kiss of death as one by one he lures young beauties into the timeless, bloodless realm of the undead? Beware of pity, for he feels none. Beware of love, for none can refuse him. Never has the struggle between good and evil been so shocking and the outcome so uncertain. Terror beyond telling in color. The Brides of Dracula. At this lonely crossroad in the Carpathian Mountains, four travelers find themselves abandoned at nightfall by a local coach driver who was afraid to go any further. There's no driver. A coach with horses that knew the way. A table laid for four. Was this kindly hospitality? Isn't your master joining us for dinner? No, sir. I'm afraid not. Is he indisposed? He's dead. Why should a dead man be interested in entertaining guests? Dracula, Prince of Darkness, King of the Vampires. For ten years, his mortal remains were cherished by his faithful servant, awaiting the opportunity and a victim to provide the life force for the reincarnation of Dracula. A strange premonition warns the guests at Castle Dracula that their host is ready to receive them. I must kill him. He is already dead. He is undead, Mr. Kent. He can be destroyed, but not killed. You don't need Charles. The curse of the mummy's tomb. A bandage and bone monster stalking the cryptomaniacs who defiled its tomb of terror. And the Gorgon. A she-monster who turns living, screaming flesh into silent stone.
It's a two-for-one. Monster Bazaar. Two terrific terrors for the price of one. With the never-before-offered special free bonus. Black stamps. Of your favorite monsters for the first 10,000 people in line. It's the curse, the curse of the mummy's tomb and the gorgon. He said the gorgon. Both in petrifying color, you know. They will frighten you. Yeah. Returning to Monster Kid Radio, you were on the show two years ago. Returning to Monster Batch, because you were here two years ago. Veronica Carlson, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you for asking me. How has the Batch treated you? I couldn't be happier, let me put it that way. I'm, I'm, how can you not be happy? Surrounded by people who adore the films you're in, and, and everything, and I'm with people that I've known, for, met them over the years, tw- some 20 years ago, so they've become friends. And I'm with a, a dear friend, Martine, and I'm with another dear friend, Tammy, although she's not here right now. Sadly, Caroline has not been able to be with us. But the bash has gone so well. It's been very busy. And the happiness here is tangible. Right? Yeah. And so how much better can it be? Right. No, I don't want to go home. I mean, neither do I. <laughs> I mean, I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. I have work to do, but I don't care. I want this to go on and on and on. Exactly. I know. When, when I go home... I haven't got people like you that love our lives were, you know, they're all in the modern era. And here I meet people who are like-minded and it's very comforting and reassuring. It's very family feeling. Absolutely. The gathering of the clans. Yes. That's a great way to put that. I I think so too. Can can I use that? That was good. By all means. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So one of the reasons you were here was because of the U.S. premiere, House of the Gorgon. Oh, Oh, yes. What did you think of it? I was thrilled with it. And I think the the young man is brilliant, absolutely astounding. Josh Kennedy produced, directed, starred in it. He did everything. Five days filming. This is what he produced in five days. He's an excellent director. Yeah? Absolutely perfect director. And uh, his creativity was boundless. So the, the little figurine of Michael Ripper that was set, I had to place on the bar. Yes. And every little detail he'd considered and paid homage to Hammer in every way that he could. And a few other things like Dr. Fives or Dark Shadows. I mean, he just really worked all of his love for all things gothic horror yes. into this thing. Yes. Uh, but primarily Hammer. I mean, with you and Martine and Caroline and Chris. Yes. I mean, what a what a wonderful man. But he plays such villainous characters in all the films that he's done. <laughs> I told him it's like this cognitive dissonance. It's hard to, to reconcile Johnny Alucard yeah. with this man who is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. He would, um I'm just trying to remember one of the scenes when I was looking into the coffin. I remember the girls were sitting there. I could just see them, you know, uh-huh. all watching me. And I, I, got, I tried to forget they were there. It was very different, very difficult to forget. My best friends were sitting there watching every move, you know, absolutely wrapped. And I thought, I've got to behave. I've got to do this really well. No, we, we, uh, and watching Caroline to thump that organ <laughs> does that awful music and we, we oh god we had fun doing everything it looks like it it really came across on the screen i'm glad how much fun that. you must have had yes I, mean, I had fun watching it i have fun talking with you people about it great i just adore it that's wonderful i don't know how he does it don't know what he's going to do next i don't know how he's going to talk this well he's gone back to he left five o'clock this morning to go back to texas he's rehearsing my fair lady on stage <laughs> i know <laughs> nothing small about it is no, there? No, no, no of course no. not pygmalion is 
everyone, oh my goodness, he's got, and he's thinking of doing something next year in Whitby, and I don't know what it is, he wouldn't tell me, and, I, and if he had, I wouldn't have said anything anyway, but anyway, <laughs> and hopefully we'll get the gang together again. Well, both Martine and Chris told me that there might be something happening, but nothing official, That's just right. he's kind uh, of working right, on it. Right, there's nothing official, but the word Whitby came up, and I know because I groaned, I don't like Whitby. Oh, no! <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a very cold place. <laughs> In there, but anyway, no, it, they'll make it magic. If it happens, it'll be magic. How did you first become aware of Josh and got involved with his movies? In one of the uh, conventions we were at with Martin and Caroline, uh, and he was uh, showing one of his movies, uh, I think it was the Minotaur. Uh, yes, it was. And we, we said to him afterwards, we realized it was an excellent movie, but we didn't see enough of the Minotaur. We, we wanted to see more. But um, Caroline mentioned, wouldn't it be lovely if we could all get together and make a movie? And that seed grew very quickly when it was planted. And that's how it happened. And we all, at the idea, became very excited, never dreaming it could actually happen. Right. But Josh made it happen. It's it's amazing. Yes. With so many iconic roles under your belt, I mean, so many movies that you've been in that we all adore, to bring that that level of just charisma and love to a project like this, I yes, mean, it just, it's perfect. And I really, really liked your performance in House of the Gorgon. It is probably one of my favorites. Thank you very I really much. Have to say that. That's wonderful to know. Thank you for telling me. Now I love you in the Hammer films, of course. I mean, yes. that's, that's what, especially in this crowd, what you're known for. Yeah. But I also really like you in the Ghoul. Oh. How was that experience shooting something? Seemed to be a little different for you. Yes, it was very different. Um, I, yeah, Freddie invited me to the studios to discuss it, and. Uh, in Pinewood Studios. And I was rather taken aback that they wanted me for the role. And of course, I, I was delighted to have been offered the part, which was wonderful. But it was working with Peter that was sad because working with Peter on the Frankenstein movie, horror, you know, Frankenstein must be destroyed, when he, before he lost his wife. Right. The ghoul, he'd lost his wife. And there was this very sad, I mean, the atmosphere was changed. It was different. It was Peter. It was still lovely, dear Peter, but it was a sad, lonely Peter. Instead of meeting up with people and chatting between breaks, he'd go to his dressing room. He isolated himself. And, of course, we had that scene where he had to talk about his dead wife in the story of the ghoul. And he was looking at a photo. He always had a photograph of Helen on the sets that he worked on somewhere. And, of course, he used this photograph on the mantel shelf and... Well, he started to break down, and Freddie kept on at him to say, uh, one more take, one more take. Oh, he no. did six takes, and by this time, Peter was a total wreck. Tears were streaming down his face. He said, I can't do this anymore, dear Terry. And he said, I'm going to my dressing room. So he did. And I was weeping, and I looked up, because I had been watching him very t intently. And all the crew were wiping their eyes, the lighting cameraman, everybody. And they put the lights out and all walked off the set. And we were all left to get get over ourselves for quite a while. It sounds like the it. The reason, I mean, Freddie was the kindest, most generous, thoughtful director you could ever hope for. The reason he did it was not to be unkind. He saw the depth of the feeling that was coming through from Peter. And he, he got it all. He got every bit of it, as a good director should. But we know it cost Peter dear. And it didn't do Freddie any good. Freddie just walked away as well. He didn't like what he did. 
Yeah. That would be tough. Very, very tough. I've, I've never forgotten it. Of course, at another time, he told me, uh, he, he said, darling, I kept running up and down the stairs as fast as I could, hoping to give myself a heart attack. And of course, I thought, oh, dear, I did. I've heard that story, and that's, that's yeah. just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, yeah. He brought such a level of professionalism. You wouldn't know. Oh, yes. Watching the movies, you wouldn't know what he's going no. through. I mean, he, he never let himself down. Yeah, and... Well, neither did you. <laughs> I absolutely adore everything that you've done. Like I said, uh, two years ago when we chatted, huge fan. You're a big part of the reason why I like the Dracula films and, and the Hammer films and all those. That's lovely to hear. And I do. It's a very big compliment. And I, I thank you for it. Well, I hope I get to see you again at a convention, maybe at another premiere at another Joshua Kennedy film. I hope so. Or, that or just, would be just wonderful. Any, that yeah. would be amazing. And, I know. But... Even if it's not for a Josh Kennedy film, I, I just hope I get to see you again because you are such a light at these things. You're just thank so, you. so wonderful. So thank, thank you, you so much. It's been a pleasure, Derek. Thank you for having me on your show. All right, Monster Kid Radio listeners, somebody that I've been wanting to talk to for a very, very long time. I'd like to welcome to the show Mrs. Joshua Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Martine Beswick. How are you? I'm really well. I love this thing. I love this whole thing about Mrs. Joshua Kennedy. It is such a... It is hilarious. It's it's quite amusing. I, it is. And I had no idea you were in on the joke. Oh, yeah. What, and I've told the story, and I think I mentioned it to you yeah. and reminded you that you called me. Uh, he, you and Caroline were on the phone with me Monday before you started shooting. And the first thing you said was, how long have you known my husband? I had no idea you were in on the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. It's really, and it's really hilarious because when we're together, when he comes and visits me, mm-hmm. I mean, we end up just kind of hanging out in the kitchen like to, you know, Good night, darling. And then in the morning we come, hello, darling. Did you sleep well, darling? And we sit at the table and have breakfast together and discuss the world. Mm-hmm. And we, we solve all the problems and make up new films. Well, there you go. There you go. And that kid, I call him kid he's, because he's so young, but he's an old soul, man. He uh, uh, seriously so old soul. I mean, he's been making films since he was five That's years insane. old. And I've seen it. He, um... If <laughs> five, I've, I've seen some of his very, very early stuff, and I've seen the pictures of him doing the Gorgon stage production. Little, little, little Josh with the the fake and chops and all that. Like, come just, on, man! I know he's just amazing, amazing. So of course that's where I want to be. That's who I want to work with. Yeah. And I know that somebody, people are going to come to me and say, "Would you like to?" I only want to work with him. Wow. I do. I mean, because no, I... No, don't tell him that. He'll get a... Oh, he know, knows that. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, he late. knows that. He He's knows that. He's not going to fit in that top hat anymore. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh, is, he's a dear friend and uh, a great talent. And one of his strengths is surrounding himself with people who are as much, if not more so, talented than him, including the cast of House of the Gorgon. I know you saw it in the UK mm-hmm. and you saw it here tonight. Mm-hmm. Still like the movie? Having yes, okay, yes. Good, good. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm actually in awe. And in fact, when we did it in in London, which was we, I I couldn't believe how I thought, what are we doing with this little film that was made for no money? And here we are in the middle of London in quite well known cinema, and we kept looking at each other with our sort of jaws on the floor, thinking, how did this happen? <laughs> How did this happen? We're having a premiere in the middle of London. I know. I mean, so I'm still like amazed. Uh-huh. 
And I was amazed that they, I mean, of course, and they had two showings. and Yeah, they did a second show. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like they did here. Yeah. People wanted to see the movie, and I think that speaks to the quality of it. I I did not sit in on the whole thing, because I had yeah. watched it so many times working yeah, on the sound. Yeah, 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 But I did sneak in towards the end, because I wanted to hear it. Because this was the first time I heard it in the big room. Right. It was an eye-opening or ear-opening experience to hear it all. <laughs> yes. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. This is the most recent thing you worked on? Yes. Of the Gorgon. Mm-hmm. But you've had a career with the films that Josh loves, the Hammer films. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jekyll, Sister Hyde, he won't shut up about. Uh, no, his favorite is Prehistoric Woman. <laughs> no, that's his... <clears throat> Which one of those... I, I'm a little rusty on my filmography this morning because I haven't had enough coffee. Which one, <laughs> which one was your first Hammer film? Uh, the very first was One Million Years B.C. Before you got involved with that, were you aware of what Hammer was all about? No, no, because i just come off Bond. Okay. Actually, the great thing about that happened with Bond is that once I did Bond, I suddenly was getting roles without having to audition. There you yeah! Go. There you go. I like that. <laughs> Didn't happen for too long, but it certainly happened for a while. So did Hammer is... call you then? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Well, actually, yes, they did. Yeah, they that's did. That's great. Wow. So that's how it, that happened. So you, so you did two of their dinosaur epic type movies, and then you did Dr. Jekyll, Sister Hyde, which yeah. I love. Yeah. I, that one's a personal favorite. I really yeah. enjoy the performance there and the way you and he made the characters your own but still had those connections yeah. to make it the same person really enjoy how do you prepare for a role like that well actually what was interesting is that i mean when when i first heard it i've told the story so many times when i first heard no 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 but i mean you know just so that people would get bored hearing it again but when i first heard about this i was actually living in los angeles and i'd gone back into uh L, into london okay for a vacation okay and i ran into a friend another friend of mine who was going to see and we went to see my old agent at william morris and they said hello darlings hello darlings all of that and as i walked in he said oh my god he said they are looking for hammond is looking for you i said what he said yes they're doing dr jekyll and sister hyde and i started laughing i said don't be silly I said, they're not going to have him turn into her. <laughs> no, no, no. Little and he said, you know. <laughs> he said, no, no. He said, really? He said, it's like they've been looking for months. And I said, and, and I mean, you know them all. He said, you go over and see them. So I did. And that was it. Wow. That was it. And I looked at it. And I, re- I thought, you know what? This could be interesting. First of all, because all of us have male and female in us. And it's just a matter of swinging either way, you know. So for me, it was kind of interesting how interesting that it's, you know, it happened like, what, 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now there's like gender bending everywhere. The spectrum is a little more in the mainstream. Yes. I mean, really in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm very confused. (laughs) (laughs) So am I, but I'm going to blame that on the coffee. Um, Is this the first time you've come to Monster? No, it's not. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And it all started. Is that how it started? It started. That's how it started. We five years ago, Mm -hmm. and we did the first one. I think it was here, Monster Bash, and then we did uh, literally one every year. Wow. And they're hilarious. They're fun. They're on his YouTube channels. I know. Have you have you seen the one with? um, And first of all, it was just me. Mm Then it included 
Caroline. Yeah. And it included Caroline and Tammy. Mm-hmm. And then all of us, I mean, yeah. so it became like production. It became a bigger production. And one of my favorite ones is a Barry White song that he had. <laughs> Did you see the Barry White song? I have seen with that. The, with, the, with, the, with the wig, with the girls in the wigs dancing. Oh, Every time, the minute they put those on, I was hysterical. They were so, just standing there dancing in the background. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I don't know how it all comes back to Josh, but I think really this was his weekend. Yeah. I'm still blown away by it. And so me too. Yeah, half the people I've had on my show, it's turned into the Josh Kennedy Appreciation Hour because the guy is just so talented. I know. I think we're all very you know, blessed or, or, or lucky I to know. have him doing these things. I now. know, I know. I'm really, I'm, I'm so thrilled. So you'd work with him again? Oh, only him. Only him. That's yes. right. That's right. Only him. I had Christine here a second ago, and he kind of mentioned maybe you guys will get together yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. He yeah. He hasn't said anything about that to me. But no, uh, we're not. We're, we're, he's not finished yet. He's working. Okay. But okay. he's got. I mean, he's doing so much more. First of all, he's got the. Um, the cowboy. Yeah, cowgirls versus pterodactyl. I'm doing the sound effects on that for him. Oh, did and you? I've read the script. It's a lot of fun. Very different than what. Yes, you guys exactly. Did. But you're kind of like a palate cleanser, you know. Yeah, and then he's also doing the um, the stage production mm-hmm. of My Fair Lady. I mean, this he is. He loves the stage. He loves the. I know. The he's amazing. I mean, I, really. Does he, I, I wonder if he has time for life? I don't know when he sleeps. <laughs> You know, I mean, I heard stories about what y'all were doing in the hotel last night. So I don't know when he sleeps. He just <laughs> <laughs> Dan came up to me. He's like, what state? What happened in the hotel room? Stays in the hotel, hotel room. Like, okay, yeah. Dan. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, uh, thank you, Derek. You've been so kind and friendly to everybody that I've seen you interact with. And you've been very patient with this fanboy over here oh. trying to keep it together because I absolutely adore everything that you do. Oh, thank you. You are such a doll. Thank oh, you thank very you so much. much. So sweet. So, so happy to have this woman here, Martine Beswick at Monster Bash. Well, first of all, I think it was a destiny because I kept saying that I was going to be an actress at four years old and I had no idea. I'd never seen a television, I'd never seen a film. I had no idea. I don't know where it came from. Um, And from as a little girl, that was what I wanted to do. And eventually I did. Well, I started doing modeling and then, then it just sort of went from there. So that's how it all began. Only the second James Bond thriller could be more exciting than the first. From Russia with love. They dance for him. They yearn for him. They die for him. Well, first of all, it actually we rehearsed for three three weeks. Um, and then uh, when they, we were supposed to go to Turkey, which I was very excited about because, you know, one of the things, actually one of the things that would happen at that point uh, in the 60s when you're an actress, I mean, one of the things, the first things you asked was, 
Where was the film going? <laughs> what country are we going to? <laughs> Not what the script is about and what it's going to do for your career. Where are we going? <laughs> and so one of the things I love is the fact we're going to Turkey. Oh, how exciting. Well, it didn't quite turn out all. We were all ready to go and suddenly, no. And we did it on the back lot of Pinewood. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> However, it was really, it was, they did a really, it, the whole production was fantastic. And it did have a really good feel to it, and really good. I mean, and uh, because it was a night shoot, and because we had this rehearsal, we had the three weeks of rehearsal, it was, they wanted to do, Terence Young wanted to do handheld cameras so we could kind of really go in and move in. And so it was kind of an exciting fight. It was a really exciting, and I have to say, I mean, it was probably sort of at that time pretty amazing, these two women just going at it like that, you know? Uh, she was not my favorite, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> she just wasn't my favorite. <laughs> One million years BC erupts on the screen with volcanic excitement. One million years BC, when the earth parted and the mountains fell. We did that in Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. And um, I don't remember whether it was, in fact, it's interesting because next year is going to be, the, they're doing a hundred, hundred year, um, uh, to call it centenary or something very special, and they've got a whole. There's a whole um, exhibition of all his work that's going to be happening in Scotland. So it's a big year for Ray Harryhausen, and so basically, I had to remember uh, his daughter asked me to sort of make, you know, write something about my memories of him. And the thing that I remember most of all was when we first, the first um, scene that we had to do, and there we were, you know, there's Raquel and there's all of us, and we're in this like beautiful volcanic lake, and we've all been, you know, swimming, or supposed to be so, in these bits of leather that are now hanging off us, and really, you know, wet and soaked and not attractive. And then we have to fight this pterodactyl. And Ray's on a flatbed truck with a special stick to give us the eye line so that he can fill in and make these creatures, right? So he's got this stick, and we're all going around going. <laughs> and there's nothing there. And so every now and again, we kind of, we suddenly turn and see all these, these us twits, really, in our little wet, soaked pieces of leather going. And they'd start laughing. And I mean, we'd have to. They'd have to stop. And the director would say, "Now, the guys. I mean, please. You know, this is. We have to get on with this." And we go, "Oh, sorry." And we go on again. And suddenly, we get this whole sort of giggle, and we couldn't stop. So this is what. But it did. Work. Finally, of course, we stopped laughing. But it was. I got to see him working a little bit after that. Wow. I just wanted to sit at his feet and 
I want him to tell me stories. I wanted his, I, I just wanted, he was a lovely guy, lovely guy. I mean, the whole experience of that is really fantastic. Shock. After shock. After shock. After shock. Warning. After shock. The sexual transformation of a man into a woman will actually take place before your very eyes in Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. A man by day. A woman by night. The perfect disguise to indulge a lust for sex and violence. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An American International Pictures release in color rated PG. Was he a woman? Was she a man? Or, or were they it? both? Um, well, we got on very well at first. And then there was a, uh, there was a little problem because he decided... I think he was being pushed, actually. There was a problem decided that he was going to be... He needed a full. He needed full nudity, and it wasn't in the script. And I said, No, 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 no. Don't be silly. Um, and he was kind of. He got a bit sort of, you know, nose out of joint. And the two of us were sort of a bit at loggerhead because I said, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But then after a while, I thought, This is so silly. This is so silly. So then we got on. We actually really had a really good time, especially because I was having a great time with, with um, Ralph Bates. So it was just that we, had, we did have a little glitch, but not for long, okay? <laughs> Don't ask us who we are or where we come from. Our only purpose is death. You can never run from it. You can never hide from it. The breath-stopping panic of seizure. Rated PG. Okay. Well, first of all, um, I was in, I was living in Rome at the time, and I didn't know. In fact, my agent called and said, "Where are you? Somebody's looking for you." And Oliver had seen Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde, and insisted that he wanted me for his film. So anyway, after a long sort of like to do, to do, back and forth, I sort of flew in and to LA and then I was going to fly up to Canada to meet him. And when I read the script, I thought, first of all, it was really, it was, it was kind of dark and it brought up some sort of weird things. There were some weird things happening, some really strange things. I mean, I, I can't even go into it because there were so many little things that were happening. I thought, oh, I don't know about this film. Anyway, we ended up together. And I definitely felt that he, there was definite genius. I had a sense that this was a, a genius coming. And the cast was amazing, amazing. And the whole idea of it, and of course, the thing is, unfortunately, it was originally called Queen of Evil. Now, I wasn't happy about the change, but I couldn't do anything about it. The Queen of Evil, moi. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of seizure, which was Jonathan, because I killed Jonathan and Fred, and give him a heart attack, I wish we kept the title. However, working with, he was, he's, very intense, Oliver Stone, very intense. But he, he created a, an intensity and, and a sort of a magic and haunted. The house was like haunted as well. So there was a, it was a, an, oh, and we shot, we lived in this house and all the rooms were the sets. So you'd wake up, 
literally with cameras and bits and stuff and lights and everything in your room and you had to kind of like walk around it, particularly Jonathan Freed. <laughs> and he had the main room and the main room was used a lot. So there was a lot of equipment in there. So he made me say, I didn't, I, I didn't sign on for this. You know, and, he'd, and he'd grump and we'd laugh and tease him. <laughs> so it was, there were, it, was, it was an amazing, interesting uh, shoot. It was incredible, incredible, absolutely. James Bond is in operation. And what an operator he is in Ian Fleming's Thunderbolt. Okay, well, first of all, the producers absolutely said they did not want Bond girls to come in twice. But Terence Young, who um, had met me and in fact cast me, in fact, before I even did Rush of Love, he said, Go get some, because I'd gone up the doctor now, and he said, go get some experience. He said, uh, you're too young. I've got something for you. And I went, ooh, okay. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, at that point, I trusted that, and I didn't have to because, I mean, who, you know, director says, oh, I'm going to use you, and you go, yeah, right. You know? Anyway, he did. And then I met him socially. And we became great friends. And then when Thunderbolt came up, there was the part of an island girl. And they said, the producer said, no, 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 we're not having Monty in this. We're ridiculous. And Terence said, don't be ridiculous. She's an island girl. And you've got to have her. And so he pressed and pushed. And it was Terence that got me in there. We loved him. Oh, God, he was so fabulous. He was the most elegant gentleman ever. And mischievous. <laughs> Very mischievous. He was Mr. Mischief. He was always sort of like going, giving a grin, you know. <laughs> he was great. It was great. Uh, the part that I really wanted was um, the part that I wanted to play Morgana in Excalibur. Oh, I actually was. <sighs> but it was, you know, Helen Mirren, she did a fantastic job. Really fantastic, but I, that's, I really wanted that. And the other one I wanted was um, the Dalmatian thing with Glenn Close. Oh. <laughs> 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 I thought that was right. <laughs> 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 Second surprise for Martine. He's coming up here. David Colton, of course, uh, with the classic horror boards on the internet. Oh my God! Jeez. I also did the Rondo Awards. Uh, how many folks here voted this year? That's uh, great. Um, Martine mentions that she likes to work with family, and I think we'd all agree that of her many families, this is one. Yeah. 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 
tonight, but um, we wanted to present Martine with her induction into the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. <laughs> around uh, mysterious happenings at night, uh, strange noises emanating from the dark. Leave Karlstadt. Leave now and never come back. Stay away from them. They mean you great harm. Starring Caroline Monroe as the Baroness. What was the sinister secret she hid beneath her dark spectacles? Martine Beswick as her sister Uriel, malevolent and evil. You would sacrifice all that we've done merely to quench your innate desire oh, for violence. Oh, what if I did? Veronica Carlson as Anna, the one woman in the village of Karlstadt willing to stand against these angels of death. I could fight you. We can fight you! Christopher Neem as Llewellyn, a man of faith, locked in mortal combat with overwhelming evil. If we leave them alone, maybe they'll leave us alone. Also starring Joshua Kennedy as the mysterious Dr. Pritchard. And introducing Georgina Dugdale, Gooey Film's latest star discovery, the Gorgon's most beautiful victim. See all of this and more when you visit the House of the Gorgon. Cast you out! Every unclean spirit, every satanic power, in the name and by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ! Coming from gooey films, an adventure like no other. From the mind of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Watson! The year is 1896, and Sherlock Holmes faces his most peculiar case yet. The mystery of the Six Napoleons. Good, thank you. 
Come, Watson. The game is afoot. Joshua Kennedy as the master detective. A new and exciting Sherlock Holmes. I dare call nothing trivial, Watson. Nothing. You'll remember how the dreadful case of the Abernethy family was first brought to my attention by the depth, depth which, which the, the parsley had sunk into the butter on a hot day. Yes, yes, we all know what you did. Bessie Nellis, Dr. Watson's most beautiful portrayer. It is clear that the possession of this trifling bust was worth more in the eyes of our strange criminal than that of a human life. Jonathan Danziger as Inspector Lestrade. Amy Ziliacs as Mrs. Hudson. Also starring a cavalcade of great talent. Jake Williams, Tracy Thomas, George Chapper, Michael Rosenville, Will McKinley, Mark Holmes. Yes, it's quite humorous if I do say so myself. Well, there it is. The Return of Sherlock Holmes. See it in Gooey School. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks for sticking around and checking out the show and downloading everything and being involved with Monster Kid Radio on Twitter, on Facebook, and either the page or the group. Just everything that you do to help make Monster Kid Radio what it is, I thank you for it. You guys and gals are awesome. I've often said Monster Kid Radio has some of the best podcast listeners around, and I stand by that. That is I mean, it's an undeniable truth. You guys and gals are awesome. You can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over on our website at monsterkidradio.net, including our contact information. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can even call and leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. But like I also said, we've got the Facebook group, the Facebook page, and the Twitter, so you can interact with the show that way as well. Everything that you've heard about here on the show, you're going to find links to it in the show notes over at the website. Everything that Dr. Tongue talked about, a link to Professor Frenzy's home podcast. You're going to find everything you need there. And I mentioned this last week up across the top, you're going to find a link to the Monster Kid Radio book club. Click on that. And that's going to take you to a list of all the books by the authors who have appeared here on the show. It is an incomplete list. I'm still updating it. But if you're looking to support any of the authors you've heard here on the show, and supporting Monster Kid Radio at the same time. Use the Amazon link you're going to find in the book club page, and we get a little bit of a kickback. One of the authors in the book club is Dwight Kemper, and he's going to be on the show next week with a reading of a short story. It's a good one. I really had fun recording the reading with him at Monster Bash. That's right. Next week, even more Monster Bash. <laughs> I was talking with my friend Dave Robison the other day on Facebook, and... You know, he and I were both marveling at how much content I was able to get at Monster Bash and just all the material, all the audio, all the fun stuff. Man, it's just given me so much. And I hope that by providing all of this Monster Bash coverage, it's giving you something as well. Uh, like I said, Dwight Kemper is coming here next week and we'll have the Q&A with Veronica Carlson from Monster Bash, again, courtesy of Mike Ramsey. And... You know, a few other things here and there. I got a couple things in the works from some audio that I captured at the bash, some audio that Mike captured at the bash. We'll see what happens. You're just going to have to stay tuned and come back to Monster Kid Radio in seven days 
and hear even more coverage from the best convention in the galaxy, man. I'd say in the world, but I mean, it's, it's, it's universal, man. Well, no pun intended. It, it is the best convention out there. I mean, if you're a monster kid and you've never been to Monster Bash, if you have the means to get there, I, I can't recommend it enough. I really can't. It's just a good time, you know? Please don't forget to check out Monster Kid Radio on YouTube. Every episode of the podcast does go up as a YouTube video. Plus, every once in a while, I shoot something specific for the Monster Kid Radio on YouTube YouTube channel or for the Comicstalgia YouTube channel. I typically make announcements about those on Facebook and Twitter. Maybe even embed them into the website at monsterkidradio.net. So keep your eyes open there. Oh, hey, I remembered something that I was going to tell you is going to be in next week's episode. It's not Monster Bash related. Later this week, I plan on meeting with Stephen D. Sullivan to record about the Monster Kid Radio Monster Rally Retro Awards, or as we call them here, the rallies. Uh, the rallies are an annual award show that we do here honoring the best in genre cinema. And, uh, well, Steve and I have to announce the winners of the 1935, 1945, and 1955 contests. So come back for that, too. Dwight Kemper, Stephen D. Sullivan, Veronica Carlson. I mean, those are three perfectly good reasons for you to be here next week. But I'll, I'll sweeten the pot. There's more. It's, just trust me. Anyway. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Talk to everybody next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao.